So good evening, everybody. It's good again to see everybody out and see Miss Anna. Seems, I don't know, just, she's, she's one of those little smiley faces that's, if she's not there, you miss her. <laughs> uh, so let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Andy, could you open us up in a word of prayer for us? Father, just thank you for bringing us back to your house tonight, and just thank you for the place to come and worship you and just hear from your word. As you speak to our hearts tonight, as we uh, study this lesson about Moses and his friends and the friends you've given each one of us, as actually help John as he leads the lesson, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So, last week you all learned, Andy did the lesson on... Um, was it the manna? So that actually browsed through that briefly because I did not get a chance to listen to it yet. That looked like a pretty neat lesson. A lot to learn there. Learning about the power of contentment. Um, yeah, just kind of browsing through some of that. Yeah, there's a lot that kind of hit, hit me in the headlights <laughs> there, even just browsing through it. So that, if you haven't got a chance to listen to that, encourage you to do so um, so I'm excited to hear what hear what that one is so um, so now we're on to lesson number seven Moses and his faithful friends and this lesson is about following the faith of God's leader um, let's go ahead and read let's go ahead and start out reading the text of this lesson so if you have your Bibles um, I'll have you all help me out here Turn to Exodus 17. We're going to look at verses 8 through 13. 8 through 13. So, in, in this we'll see in our text, God has ordained the office of a pastor. In the local church, the pastor is to lead the church and to serve God's people. It is the pastor's responsibility to lead from a heart that is right with God and that cares for his flock. It is the responsibility of the congregation to do what they can to help the leader. In any context, but perhaps especially in the context of the local church, every Christian, regardless of title or position, should choose, and should have that highlighted, um, to have, but should choose to be a servant. When we serve others, we choose to walk in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. So this lesson is going to be talking about uh, this text in Exodus 17, 8 through 13. Dad, could you go ahead and start us out, and then we'll go around the room, um, whoever's willing and able to read. And was Exodus 7? Uh, 17. 17. Sorry about that. I misspoke. 17, start in verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Abby, go ahead. Oh, I'm next. Are we in verse 9? Verse 9. Yes, 17, verse 9. Because that's not... You're in Exodus? I'm in Genesis. Aha. Uh -huh. I was like, that is your power. <laughs> go ahead, Esther. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out, fight with Elimelech. No, Amalek, 
Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with a rod of God in my hand. All right, so are you there, Abby? Yes. All right, so Exodus 17, <laughs> verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. All right, so we see our text there. And I couldn't help but thinking, Katur's uh, not in here, but with Abby, with our with a Sunday school lesson this morning about David, <laughs> we've just seen the uh, production David at Sight and Sound. Um, so it's kind of cool, kind of have some of that imagination going into the lesson uh, this morning. So it's kind of like, oh yeah. <laughs> so kind of after getting that experience, I kind of have some of that same imagination here with Moses, you know, they're going to fight Amalek. You kind of wonder what they're thinking of. A bunch of slaves never fought a war for, you know, a long time. And they come up in their first battle, like, what were they thinking? You know, what did it, what did it look like? Or it's like you got these soldiers coming and then this bunch of shepherds with their rods and stuff. Yeah. Don't know. Um, but then also what, yeah, Moses and her and uh, Aaron were doing, like, Moses lift up his hands like, oh, they're winning, yeah, and then his hands go down like, oh, man, they're not. I'll do it again, Aaron, lift up there. <laughs> but what that could look like, you can have fun with your imagination, but the uh, Bible says, yeah, when he, when he had his hands up, Israelites were winning. When his hands went down, the Amalekites won, so you kind of wonder how they figured that one out. You, know? uh, like, you can see Joshua down there. What's Moses doing? <laughs> but anyway, so it's kind of like sight and sounds got my imagination going. So never know. So first point, point number one, the what of Moses's faith. The what of Moses's faith. And I did give you another little hint in there, but this time it's a little coded. You have to remember. remember. Nope. Four letters. That's what that means. Four letters. It starts with an H. Hope. The hope of Moses' faith. So again, kind of what I was talking about uh, here. The prospects were looking very bleak for the children of Israel at the beginning of Exodus 17. The people were thirsty, and despite of the recent manna lesson, they once again defaulted to murmuring and complaining. Showing his mercy once again, God allowed Moses to strike the rock and provide water for his people. But things seemed to quickly go from bad to worse as the armies of Amalek prepared to destroy the children of Israel. Uh, yeah, that's where my, like, oh yeah. Kind of what were they thinking? Crazy Moses. Uh, despite these negative factors, Moses' Moses's faith did not wane. Instead, he put his trust in God and sought his direction. And it shows that 
Moses' faith must have been very powerful. Um, so a very powerful leader for um, God's people to, to follow him. All right, sub-point A, the army was... was well, that's a good guess, but it's a little more letters than that. Starts with a P. Prepared. How we spell it? Three paired. Is that song uh, we were, we were watching? Um, Hoodwinked on the way to vacation. It said, "You got the old goat." Be prepared. Be prepared. <laughs> so, yeah. As we look at the preparation of Israel's army, we see some principles that we should note. So they, it's got a couple principles here. Um, actually, three in total. The first one is. Men were chosen to fight. Just as men were chosen to fight for Israel, God has chosen us to fight for Him. The Christian life is a spiritual battlefield. In Ephesians 6, 10-18, we see Paul using the metaphor of a soldier's armor as a Christian's defense against the wiles of the devil. So Ephesians 6, 10-18 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod by the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. In 2 Timothy 2, 3-4, we again see this picture of Christian battle. Um, that says, Therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So we see here we are chosen to fight. Churches today need men to lead their families to lead in worship, to lead in giving, to lead in serving, to lead in witnessing. Too often men are accused of being indifferent to the things of Christ. May that not be the case in our churches today. Sadly, the, the statistics show that fewer men are choosing to fight in the battle. Um, this is a typical American church draws an adult crowd that's 61% female, 39% male. This gender gap shows up in all age categories. That's pretty interesting. Like it's not just grown men, it's all age categories. I thought I was kind of, huh. Um, and uh, it says almost 25% of married women will attend church without their husbands. Over 70% of boys who are being raised in church will abandon it during their teens and 20s. Many of these boys will never return. And uh, here's the saddest one, I thought. Uh, that's pretty crazy. More than 90% of American men believe in God. And five out of, five out of six of these 90% call themselves Christians. 
but only one out of six attend church on any given Sunday. The average man accepts the reality of Jesus Christ, but fails to see any value in going to church. Statistics also show, um, show us why church is good for men. So churchgoers are more likely to be married and express a higher level of satisfaction with life. Church involvement is the most important predictor of marital stability and happiness. Church involvement moves people out of poverty. It also correlated with, the, with less depression, more self-esteem, and greater family and marital happiness. Religious participation lead men to become more engaged husbands and fathers. Teens with religious fathers are more likely to say they enjoyed spending time with their dad and that they admired him. In today's story, the men were willing to fight. That's our second point um, on our sub-point A. So the first one was men was chosen to fight. The second one in today's story, the men were willing to fight. They were chosen and they are willing. These chosen men counted an honor to go to battle for their nation and their God. Uh, during the Revolutionary War, Thomas Paine wrote scornfully of the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot. There were often gentlemen soldiers who would volunteer their summers after planting their fields in the spring. When fall approached, they would return home to harvest their crops. Paine knew that if there were not men willing to stay and suffer for the sake of the country at places like Valley Forge, all hope for the American Revolution would be lost. Today, America needs men and women who will persist and not flee in the face of adversity. After the disaster at Pearl Harbor, hundreds of thousands of Americans enlisted in the Army, though the draft law given by the Congress in 1940 limited enlistment to below one million. Once war was declared, millions of Americans were called to duty. So the last one, last point to this subpoint A, these men were also dependent upon God's power. And that kind of answers, um, it's kind of the only logical answer that I had for my earliest question, like, what were these people thinking? Like, why would they follow Moses? Uh, because they weren't following Moses. Um, well, if they were, they were following Moses and that he was, they trusted him that he was following God. Uh, so they were dependent on God's power. I mean, they've seen miracles, seen the Red Sea open, see Pharaoh's whole army drowned. Um, so, you know, they probably did really trust the Lord that he was going to take it. But they're probably like, kind of, hopefully the Lord will just throw some rocks on these guys or something. <laughs> hopefully we don't actually have to take out swords, but the Lord um, has, has his ways. Uh, Moses told them that he would be lifting up his hands in prayer over them. He told them that the same rod of God that had parted the Red Sea and brought the water from the rock would be raised in their behalf. The Israelite army had no previous experience in battle. Therefore, it was good for them to realize that though they gave their best, the ultimate victory depended on God. Often God puts, in, puts us in places where there is no hope of victory apart from his enabling. But we are quickly reminded in these times that with God, all things are possible. All right. Subpoint B, God showed his power. 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 
God showed his power. The battle commenced. Soon as soon Moses, Aaron, and Hur noticed something startling and wonderful. When the rod of God in Moses' hand was lifted, the army of the Lord went forward. Uh, Zechariah 4, chapter 4, verse 6, um, it says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It was not the size and strength of the army that mattered, only the power of God. We often expect God only uses talented, gifted people, but God delights in showing his power through the weak. It is our duty, however, to surrender ourselves to him and his control. All right, point number two, the what of Moses' hands. Heaviness. Ooh, good one. the heaviness of Moses' hands. Despite all good intentions, Christians can grow weary in the battle with the world. And I should say can and will. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll grow weary in the battle with the world, uh, the flesh, and the devil. God knows this and admonishes us not to grow weary in well-doing. He tells us to be strong in Him and in the power of His might. Under the heat of the Middle Eastern sun, Moses soon found that the rod itself was becoming too burden burdensome. Subpoint A. When his hands were up, what prevailed? Or I should say, who prevailed? Israel. Heard it somewhere. Israel prevailed. The Bible states simply that God honored the upraised hands and rod. When the rod was raised toward heaven, Israel had the advantage. Just as Moses struggled to hold up his rod, we can often become fatigued holding up righteousness and truth. The struggle to do right and lead others to do so can take a toll on an individual. However, we are reminded that God hears the prayers of the weak and the heavy laden, and He honors them. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. While doing right may not always be easy or comfortable, we can win small victories if we continue to trust God will uphold us even in our difficulties. Uh, and on this, um, you know, every one of us is a leader somewhere um, to somebody, you know, us men to our, to our families, the ladies to the children, um, but specifically thinking of um, pastors. Uh, they get they get heavy sometimes uh, trying to really do right and looking out for their flock. Um, 
and keeping their hands up in prayer for their uh, for this people. And um, may we do what we can do to just help support our pastor in that. Uh, it's very difficult. And this is the reason why. Because when his hands were down, who prevailed? <coughs> Amalek. When his hands were down, Amalek prevailed. As Moses grew weary and the burning of his shoulders became too much to bear, he rested for a few moments. Invariably, the tide turned against the Israelites. It is too easy to become tired and discouraged in the middle of our spiritual battles. Often, the temptation to lay down our arms and stop fighting seems great. This feeling of fatigue and discouragement strikes all Christians at some point. Consider an Old Testament example of Elijah. After the great victory over the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18, Elijah gave in to fear and fled from the vengeful Jezebel. Discouragement followed soon after, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better, for am I not better? Uh... No, for I am not better than my fathers. That's 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. Uh, here's some really practical examples uh, or um, I'm not sure what you say. Not examples. Well, it could be examples, but um, practical advice for us uh, in our lives. I thought this was really good. Uh, he has here, never make a critical decision in, uh, when you are discouraged. Uh, so never make a critical life decision when you are discouraged. It usually turns out to be the wrong decision. Um, actually, I meant to have listed these out because that would have been kind of helpful. So never make a critical life decision when you are discouraged. It usually turns out to be the wrong decisions. You should, not, you should also not write a letter send a text, or return a phone call when you are depressed or angry. Most actions made in the emotion of a discouraged moment are regretted. So, Actually, I'll go ahead and write these out. So never when you're discouraged.
I might not only be with this one, I thought, no. You might not say something bad or whatever, but at the very least, you're dragging somebody else down with you, um, which, isn't, which isn't good. Uh, we should be encouraging others. But, and it does have the very possible uh, chance of really regretting something you say or do. So I thought those were uh, really good practical advice there. In the following verses of Elijah's story, we see God's compassionately lifting him up, restoring his physical and spiritual strength, and directing him to a man uh, who would become his protege and successor as God's prophet. God takes care of his tired and discouraged servants. When you experience a time like this in your life, remember the familiar words of the prophet Isaiah and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 40, 28, 31 says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they that mount up the mount up with, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Nehemiah four provides a great cure for discouragement. First, rest your body. Your body will not function effectively if it is stressed out. Second, reorganize your life. You could be doing something right, just in the wrong way. Third. Remember that God will help you. God will give you the strength you need in, the, in order to accomplish a task if you ask for it. Last, resist the discouragement. Resist the discouragement. And uh, so often that is, uh, that's the one where we, well, I particularly fail the most. Sometimes you, you can do all three of those, but you just don't want to give it up. The Lord gives you a way. And you just want to hang on to that because, well, it comes down to, I guess, pride because you want to you be looked at, but you got so much going or doing so much. And, yeah. So discouragement, it is a choice that you make. You can choose to encourage yourself in the Lord or you can choose to be discouraged. Moses' physical fatigue led him to lower his hands in the crucial moments of the battle. May we rely on God's strength to help us continue through our daily Christian battles. All right, point number three, the what of Moses' friends. Help, heaviness, and... Oh, did I make a mistake? Did I say... Oh. Uh, there you go. The H is in silent or something. <laughs> uh, whoops. The help of Moses' friends. As, uh, as is often the case in the scriptures, some of God's people saw the need and offered help. We see here that in these next few verses, a perfect four-step plan that believers can follow to help their spiritual leaders and their churches 
to be victorious. So our four steps, A, B, C, and D. They set out for the... This one is three letters. Of the T. It's not the bottom. It's the top. Yeah, since the little I's are in front of the V, you minus it. Not exactly proper Roman numeral, but yeah, I'll make it a little tricky. So now you can't decide if it's a Mistake, or is me trying to mess with you? I meant to do that. So Aaron and Ur, her, traveled up the hill with Moses. It takes, it is always far easier to go down a hill than to go up. It takes more effort, more oxygen, and more muscles to climb up the mountain than to go down. It is easy to stay in the valley, but the view from the top is unsurpassed. As an illustration, um, talks about uh, trekking up to the top of Mount Everest. Uh, the last checkpoint is Rest Camp 4. From Camp 4, mountaineers usually leave at 10 p.m. and plan to reach the summit around noon the next day. Though it takes 14 hours to get to the top, it only takes 5 hours to descend back to Camp 4. Like, oh, that's crazy. So it's almost three times... Um, yeah. <laughs> now, if you're flying, it's, it's, even, it's even faster, but the landing isn't so fun. Uh, so going up is much more exhausting than going down. For that reason, many never attempt going up. It has often been said that he who aims at nothing hits it every time. It is more important in life to have uh, planned measurable goals and to reach those for, uh, for these God-given goals. Philippians 3.13 encourages us to be con constantly reaching forth unto those things which are before. To achieve your goal of setting out for the top, you'll need spiritual discipline. Dream big, but plan well. Write down specific steps to see your dream become a success. Set regular times when you evaluate your progress and ask yourself, how am I doing in my uh, fill-in-the-blank? Walk with God, marriage, parenting, career, ECT. So they set out for the top, and next they set out a stone. Set a B. So, yeah, subpoint B is they set out a stone. Yeah, if he said set out a B, I don't think Moses would like that. Aaron and Hur did more than accompany Moses up to the mountain. They did more than stand by him at the top of the mountain. They supported him and helped him. We can only imagine the weariness Moses felt standing at the top of the mountain in the hot sun with the rod raised above his hands. Um, 
Aaron and Ur realized that his task would be lightened if he could be seated while keeping his arms extended. They found a large stone and moved it to where Moses could use it as a seat. Finding and moving a big stone, uh, a stone big enough to sit upon, must have been uh, a quite a large task. Yet Aaron and Ur did what they could to support their leader as their leader followed God. Everyone needs support. Our support needs to be solid, useful, and enduring. Um, so, yeah, the, I thought that was a pretty good analogy. So, may our support be like that rock. It needs to be solid, useful, and enduring. Christ is our rock. He is our constant source of support and stability. For the many who depend on us, we are their stone, their source of human support and encouragement. Are we supporters of God's leadership in our life? Are we strengtheners of, uh, of the good works taking place in our local church? Are we encouragers in the work of the Lord? Are we setting example for those whom we influence? Are we remembering and helping those in authority over us? Let us consider these verses, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which are laboring among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem, uh, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Hebrews thirteen seven and 17. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. All right, subpoint C. Subpoint C. They stayed up his hands. Not only did Aaron and Ur set up for the top and set out a stone, but they also held up Moses' hands. This was close and personal work. They could not help Moses while standing a few feet away. They had to enter into his personal zone. Uh-oh. We're going to invade you, Pastor. Well, we don't want to get too much into you know, their personal space, but we do. If we're going to help well, anybody... Uh, if we're truly going to help somebody, you have to get to know them. Um, and may, may we do that. It says, think of it. Even mighty men of God perspire when they get overheated. Though it might have been a little uncomfortable, they were willing to enter into Moses' labor. They were willing to get hot, sweaty, and dirty to support God's leader. Working as a team with each man holding up an arm, they enabled Moses to keep his arms aloft. I'm pretty sure they invented deodorant at that point in time. <laughs> Here we see the principle of teamwork exemplified. What one could not do by himself, three men could do together. How wonderful it is when many people in a church band together to get a job done. Not everyone can do the same tasks, but everyone can do something. We are reminded in 1 Corinthians 12 that some church members might act as ears and some as eyes and some as feet, some as hands, as we learned in um, family camp. 
from the potatoes? Potatoes. In the same way today, some teach, some preach, and some sing in the choir, some are ushers, some are nursery workers, and all work together to be soul winners. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, uh, 27 through 28, but now God, but now hath God set members, every one of them, in the body, as it has pleased Him. That's verse 18, verse 27, 28. And now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Members and members particular. And God had set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are we willing to get involved with God's work in a personal way? Are we ready to join forces with God's man to accomplish great works for the Lord? At times we may be tired, at times we may be exasperated, but you will always feel useful. Uh, so kind of a il crazy illustration here, talking about illustrating we may not feel like we're very helpful or that we can't do something. And so we don't do something. This is kind of a little uh, kick in the pants um, example here. Ever since the early 1980s, Dick and Rick Hoyt have been racing as a team in athletic events. Um, marathons, 5Ks, Ironman events, and other triathlons. After birth, Rick was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Doctors told his father, Dick, to institutionalize Rick because he was going to be a vegetable for the rest of his life. Ignoring the doctor's advice, Rick's parents raised him up as if he were like any other child. Despite his disabilities, Rick wanted to run races and to let Paralyzed know that life goes on. With their custom-made wheelchair, bicycle, and boat, Dick and Rick had finished 1,091 race events, including 70 marathons, 94 half marathons, 155 5K races, and 252 triathlons. Pretty crazy. So if we think we can't do something, think again. We can. All right, sub-point D. They stayed until the battle was won. Oh, it's two? It's actually one, but a different kind of one. It's a really confusing concept. All right, they stayed until the battle was won. Aaron and Hur supported the man of God until the last um, vestiges of daylight were erased from the western sky. Darkness came, and with it, the end of the battle. In God's power, Joshua discomfited the Amalekite, uh, discomfited uh, Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. The victory was complete, and it would be many years before Amalek troubled Israel again. It is a blessing when God's servants help their pastor and their place in ministry win battles for the Lord. And underline that, we're, we are winning battles uh, for the Lord. We're doing work for the Lord. Uh, may we do things for the Lord. It is our job as soldiers in God's army to stay in the battle until either the trumpet sounds or the Lord calls us home. May we, like Aaron and Hur, remain faithful in the work of the Lord. Uh, illustration here. And if we're, not, if we're not helping, then we are 
hurting. Uh, funny illustration of this. The story is told of two men riding a tandem bicycle up a steep hill. After much effort, they finally made it to the top of the hill. The front rider said, that sure was a tough ride, to which the second rider replied, sure was, and if I hadn't kept the brake on the whole time, we might have slipped backwards. <laughs> so may we not be like that back rider and think everything's going to go backwards, so we hold the brakes on. Makes it pretty tough for the guy in front. <laughs> All right, in conclusion, as members of God's army, we too ought to be seek help. We ought to seek help um, to help our pastors and ministry leaders to go on to victory. We ought to look for opportunities to join them as they set out for the top. We should look for ways to set out stones or hold up hands. Together, we, we must stay fully engaged until the victory is won. All right, so that is the end of the lesson, lesson number seven. Um, Pastor, would you come up and close us with your thoughts and uh, prayer? I'm uh, just reminded just of the help that I do have. I would think Brother Mike would know this more than I, than I would. This is quite a group to have to start a church, just the people who are committed and help. And uh, we're just a team. I don't think anybody lifts themselves up above anybody else. It's just everybody comes in and does their part, uses their gifts. And it's it's a great, great, wonderful thing. And that's just, uh, that's we give God the glory uh, for his working in that. All right, anybody have any thoughts they want to share before we close? I do. All right, Joe. Um, pastor. Pastor? Pray for the pastor? That that would be good. All right, thank you, Joe. Yes. Another thought I had uh, with Moses and Sometimes um, you get, when you get discouraged and stuff, you kind of look at the cause and sometimes you realize that you're not trying to serve the Lord, you're trying to please somebody. Um, and that gets, uh, it's going to fail you. <laughs> but when you can look at doing stuff for the Lord, stuff's a lot easier. Reminded of a few prayer requests. The children. Looks like Joel's getting this really raspy cough. Yeah. So uh, might have a rough night tonight. Uh, pray for Esther. She has surgery this week on Wednesday. Just be praying that all goes nice and smooth and well, and it takes care of the issues she's had. And and uh, so just pray for that. Mom's got some. Um, doctor's appointments and then the following week she'll be having surgery and just again pray for the same thing that uh, everything just goes smooth and and well yes um, 
for so much like me. <laughs> Just for all the ladies. Um, I think about how many times I've said I have a bicycle in the second seat with my brakes on. <laughs> 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 really trying to encourage our husband who's sort of discouraging all the things that we do. else. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thankful for these lessons in Moses. And um, as we look at leadership, Lord, and the help and uh, the teamwork involved in all that. And so, Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.